Stephen George Williams, also known as Jude Moses, is a musician, songwriter and producer from Charlotte, North Carolina. With the bulk of his time spent on the road as a session musician, Stephen talks to me about navigating life whilst on tour and how he curates space within a packed and often crowded schedule to implement rest and quieten his inner radio. This southern subatonic multi-instrumentalist was raised in the stoic simplicity of a Toombs County onion town, his sound crafted amongst Georgia pine and dusty pale horses. I first met Williams back in 2009 whilst living in Fort Mill, North Carolina, and in 2011 he moved to Northern Ireland on a songwriting expedition and to flesh out our collaborative musical project, Sons of Calibre. His connection, however, to this island has been strong throughout his life, with friends from the province often frequenting his family home and town growing up. His understanding of Northern Irish culture and its people is by now fairly accumulative, and his effortless adoption of our tone, accent and humour rolls from his tongue like he went to a school somewhere in and around South Derry. With a decade of friendship between us, he and I have been intermittently collaborating together for the last 10 years to varying degrees, breaching our oceanic Atlantic divide to trade secrets and work on each other's creative projects, weaving together stories and sound in an exchange of melodic cultural currency. Williams is a walking symphony. He does everything with a harmony attached to it, from fixing breakfast to laying down. He is a sonic installation. He is an instrument. His debut album, We Won't Die, is a full-length American folk rock hybrid incorporating a ream of proficient Charlotte talent within its musical corridors. And reading between the lines, I sense a new collection of songs is imminent. The Georgian's vocal range is immense, and although a few years my junior, his creative influence on me as a songwriter and a singer has been both immeasurable and incomparable. In this interview, we talk about current projects, family, and the music in his most formative years. Where are some of your favourite places in Northern Ireland? <laughs> Let's see, where do I start? I mean, there's, there's you know, Mahara, there's Belfast, there's Ballymena, Bally Robert, Bally Cruise, Bally Castle, Bally Robert, Bally Money, Bally Donny, Bally Sally. <laughs> <laughs> All the Ballys. Oh, so many Ballys. Too many. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know why. I, I guess I noticed a little bit of it when I lived here, but then this last trip, I guess we'll notice some more signs. I was like, there's a pile of valleys here. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's like, even to a um, little, little trip we took tonight, I was like, oh, what I learned? Bally Nur? Bally Bully? Bally Bully. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. There's nothing like that in the States. I mean, we have like Vils and Bergs, but when you Bali is so percussive, it's like Bali, 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 Bali. <laughs> snare drum, yeah? yeah, yeah, snare drum. One, two, three, four, Bali, 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 Bali. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder, wonder if there is a Bali, Bali. I'm sure, or there should be. There will be. So you play. Um... You play keys, you play mandolin, you play banjo, you play guitar. Mm-hmm. You're a multi-instrumentalist. You play drums. When I first met you, you were you probably predominantly a drummer? Maybe when I met you. Yeah, when I yeah, like uh, drums were my first instrument. Okay. My sister taught me the four four beat, and uh, so and then yeah, when I met you, yeah, I was still kind of like drums and guitar. Like at my home church, I primarily play drums and. Um, it, and then in North Carolina, when we met, I, I started playing drums more. Um, kind of started swapping over to guitar and doing more original stuff. And then I had a banjo teacher in uh, Georgia that taught me a little bit. And then 
just kind of random teachers kind of in Georgia. No one ever taught me mandolin, though. I kind of taught myself a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And then um, a little bit of harmonica stuff. But anybody can play harmonica if it's in the right key. But uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, keys, mandolin, banjo, and guitar. I've been, been deviled in uh, a little bit of electric, and that's been kind of fun. But uh, electric escapes me. Yeah, it's a, it's a foreign language. Yeah, it's and I'm, I'm still learning it for sure. But it's, you know, it's kind of fun to geek out. On. I'm not a big gear guy, but like if it's simple enough that I can, you know, if it's got like yeah. two two knobs max, <laughs> if there's like five knobs, I'm, done. I can't be yeah. bothered with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I bought I bought a Strymon, mm-hmm. um, delay pedal. Yeah, and. It's just got too much going on. <laughs> yeah. I just can't be bothered. Yeah. Learning it. I mean, and that's only for, I mean, I'm, I'm playing bass through it, you know. Right. I'm not even playing electric guitar through mm-hmm. it. I uh, I started buying pedals and bought a pedal board and mm-hmm. buying octavers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Built everything so far up to where I was like, I can't be bothered with any of this. <laughs> and then stripped it all back down again. Yeah, and I used to use an October. Sometimes you gotta get a lot and know what you can't do. Yeah, you gotta. Sometimes you gotta know what you don't want to know. Right. What you do want. There's not much you need. We need with the bass other than a good amp and maybe an octave and a, a compressor. That's kind of yeah. That's kind of it. But um, do you think you're? Would you do you categorize yourself as a mandolin player, or do you kind of? Oh no! I would never advertise that. <laughs> oh no, but not 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 in the sense of um, not in the sense of expertise. But do you have, do you feel like you have to define yourself as something, or are you happy with the the broad stroke of multi multi instrumentalist or multi musician? I yeah, I like multi instrumentalist because it not that I'm limited at all because there's always room for improvement. Like, but I don't know it. Just especially with like John Mark stuff, it's always changing. Yeah. Like when I first started, I was just banjo, maybe a little acoustic here and there, and that'd be about it. And then like new album, new sounds. Yeah. And then I virtually don't really play banjo ever, really. But now it's primarily mandolin and synthesizers yeah. and organs. And it's been really fun to like devil into that. Like, uh, learning new voicings on piano and you know with organ I try to you know with you, you try to move through chords without picking up too many yeah. keys and everything and that's really helped my theory and all and able to transition and all that so that's that's been really fun to navigate yeah sometimes I always think that I need to define myself as one thing or another thing mm. I can be so limiting sometimes. Yeah. Making decisions and making these kind of drawing these lines in the sand when you don't no one's really forcing you to and no one's right. Making you and no one's But your brain always wants to categorize stuff. Incredibly so. like your logical brain. Yeah. Whether you're not really your creative brain. Yeah. That's the create the creative brain, that's the last thing it wants to do. Yeah. Because you you don't want to ever limit yourself creatively. I don't think, at least. Yeah. But there is also a, a an element of limitation to force yourself to, like, okay, I'm going to write a song, like, about this topic. Or I'm going to use this instrument, like, you know, when I'm, I'm going to write a song with just this chord or these these limited chords are in this key and that there can that can be like a little bit of spark in some people yeah as well as um playing for other people as a hired gun and you know mm-hmm. you you write your own stuff and you play your own stuff with under jude moses mm-hmm. um what's that journey been like and where do you see yourself going with that in in the future jude moses was uh just kind of like my first time because after Sense of Caliber, like I've never really did any Stephen Williams stuff. Okay. And so like, you know, a little 
small thing in high school, but never really like my own project. And yeah, so yeah. after Sons of Caliber, I was like, what am I going to do? And I started thinking up different ideas. I actually thought of a great band name called The Government. But a few people thought that would be a little hard to Google um, the government music. <laughs> but uh, G. Moses was just an idea about writing songs for myself. And my brother at the time joined, and uh, he would play keys in Oregon, and I would play guitar. And he would he's an incredible harmony singer. Kind of taught me everything that I would know and all that. And so... We started uh, opening for John Mark for a while, and then uh, then he started kind of focusing on his career in nursing. And so another buddy of mine named Ben Roberts, um, he joined for a tour, and kind of same thing, keys and harmonies. And then it just sort of developed into um, like a four-piece band with uh, a buddy of mine named Jesse Proctor from Seattle, uh, Kevin Smith and Shay Wooten from North Carolina uh, and myself and that's that's been kind of the the four piece we've been working with and we did a project we did a uh, an album <clears throat> excuse me in uh, Olala Washington which is just outside of Seattle um, did a kickstart and all that and it was so fun <laughs> to record because <laughs> yeah. I never really had to a space like that to record it was just like yeah and such a team behind you as well exactly and it was just the ep we did was just like a very quick mm. project and you know it was great and helped us kind of catapult us into a market but the album was just so fun to like because i never like have given my music to other people to like give me advice or critique yeah, or yeah. anything and there was one song in particular called inside where i had it kind of the song changes towards the end into this like really open big part and I had you know, had my chords and my melody and they were like, What if we did this? And I was really stubborn about it at first. <laughs> I was like, No, I think I'm good and they're like, No, if it if we if it went to the minor third here and it went up to here and this and that I was like, Ugh. and now it's my favorite yeah part on the album. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how I would feel about making structural changes to songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I worked with a producer, an American guy who lived, who lives in Belfast when I did my first short record. Um, and I was very keen and eager for him to, mm-hmm. um, to mix the songs, I guess. But um, structural changes, I, I, would, I would find that really difficult. It's hard, for sure. I mean, they're your little babies oh, and course. everything. But now, like, I'm definitely much more open to critique in the right timing. Yeah. Well, not necessarily critique, but, like, suggestions. And do you, um, do you collaborate as well to write? I, I don't think so. Mm. Um, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that, but, like, with you, Moses, especially, I, I find that like I need to kind of write the songs mm-hmm. and then show them to the rest of the band. Yeah. Um, been working on some collaborative projects recently, but um, and that's been really fun. Just to kind of let that little part of me go and just give you know a little bit of faith into somebody else, and that's been a little bit eye opening for me. But yeah, for Jude Moses, primarily, I try to keep it like. I'll sit in the room, write songs out, and present it to the band. Roman. A be night Roman for additional serotonin. To dilute the poisoned oak in these vessels. There's a cast iron pump at the head of the yard. He works up there all day in his own, with just the one arm, fixing it, quenching a drought in the dry river beds of his bones. For maybe that's where the heavens dwell. You're working on a song at the minute, mm-hmm. without giving too much away about the 
um, without giving away too much of the mystery about of the song. Right. What What's the song about? <laughs> <laughs> so, currently, it, the song is called "Multicolored Beast," and without giving too much away, it's. I mean, the chorus is fairly obvious. I want to see the beauty of the world with you. Um, and I guess I just, I love this earth so much and how much beauty we have on this planet. And just like, especially with me and my wife traveling all over the highlands of Scotland, I'm like, this is the most gorgeous place on earth. And I mean, obviously it's becoming more, more popular, but like, it's just, I was just blown away. And I, yeah. I kind of wrote it right before we came to Scotland. It was just like, yeah. almost like a declaration. But yeah. <clears throat> the idea is like this multicolored beast is the earth. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's so many different layers and shades and aspects of this earth that are beautiful and chaotic. And you're kind of, you're wrestling with the earth. And um, I don't know, just kind of a, a positive mm-hmm look on the planet and mm. what we got left and yeah what we got left and how long we got left we don't <laughs> exactly I mean, we don't know whether the i mean if the earth treated us up and spat us out for the way for the way we've been treating it right i mean we couldn't we couldn't hold it against it you know it's such a funny thought to think about like how different the earth would look if there were absolutely no people on it mm. like from the beginning mm what would this planet look like? Mm-hmm. Because I think the planet, you know, with fires and everything and mm. all that, it kind of self-grooms a little bit, you know, self-maintains. Yeah. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know that as a, you know, with plants and gardening and everything. Yeah, I mean, they say that we're only, we're only so many months or years away from plants taking over. Right. If we weren't here, that they would just completely, you know. Yeah. I read a really interesting book or a quote, I can't remember, an article. Um, it talked about how plants have adapted to humanity to so, oh, they, really? so they survive. So they would make apples with more sugar and they would create wine and, huh. and how they've adapted themselves to survive by using us. Huh, <laughs> like we're their slaves. Not, not <laughs> slaves. We're dictated to by them, actually. Right. Rather than we think we use them and, and dictate to them, but mm. but their survival is pinned around us. So they've created sugars and and, and de- moved and, and changed and developed yeah. in all these 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 different ways. And I I find it very fascinating. And um, the older I get, the more connected I feel to the land and to the earth and mm-hmm. to um, I know we were talking earlier in the week how that in Ireland we're only really one generation, maybe not, maybe not even a generation away from people who still farm the land. Right. You know, where other countries maybe would, people are three generations away from from those that work that work the land and mm-hmm. how the Irish still have that. Not just the Irish, but how we have that that connection. For sure. Tell me. Um, What was music like growing up? Who did your parents listen to, your grandparents? My dad is the big, biggest Beatles fan. Beatles? He's seen the Beatles when they played in America. Wow. And he said it was so loud from the screaming. Yeah. Uh, and he also also saw Led Zeppelin. He, My dad's kind of an anomaly. He loves... Beatles and Led Zeppelin and all these guys but in even today now he loves just loves pop music yeah like I'll try to show him like kind of a creative interesting song he's like you got any Justin Timberlake <laughs> no way <laughs> oh yeah he loves it he loves a beat loves a good melody loves a hook mm-hmm. doesn't want to think about it no he wants the music to do all the work yeah <laughs> oh that's perfect isn't it even with like more ab- abstract Beatles songs yeah, he he's like, mm, yeah. Give me Hey Jude. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh yeah. But my mom actually, she is way more into the stuff I'm into. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like, you know, 
she loved Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan, uh, and just you know more abstract stuff. And uh, we'll talk about music more and more these days. And I I can't quite connect with my dad on music, <laughs> which is ironic. Yeah, I guess. But I guess you've you've kind of grown into your own. True, but yeah, he he always had music on in the truck or in the house, and just mm. you know we we were kind of a musical family. Yeah, I mean, you guys are a musical dynasty around Charlotte, <laughs> the, the Williams family. Were, were your grandparents musical? You know, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Not that I know of. I mean, so even my parents, they they love music, but like my dad can play, he can play Jingle Bells, and the Gone with the Wind theme, <laughs> and that's about oh, well, it, and some other Christmas song, but like. Doesn't know what on earth he's playing. Doesn't know like mm-hmm. what a C is or anything. Yeah. Tom's like my ear. And then my mom, she sang in like choirs or whatever, but like not musical. I don't, I'm pretty sure my grandparents weren't musical. At least not that I'm not in my, I'm yeah. aware of. But uh, I know we, we do, we do kind of, kind of like to pinpoint where these things came from, don't we? It's a common question because our family is so musical. Yeah. It's like, well, your parents must have of course. played something I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't, and I can't, I mean, I'm sure the older siblings can speak more knowledgeably, but I don't, I don't even know where the music came from. It was just like, we were addicted to it. Who have you seen live that has blown your mind? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, growing up in Vidalia, there was no, nobody obviously came around. And so, like, I have all these friends that had their, like, first concert when they were, like, 14 or 12. And I think my first proper concert was Coldplay. Oh, wow. In Charlotte. <laughs> I was, um, it was me, my brother John, and my brother Andrew. And we, saw, it was on their, uh, I'm pretty sure it was their X and Y tour. You know, Fix You had just came out, and uh, it was like my first. And, you know, my first show was a massive show. Yeah. Freaking Coldplay. And so, you know, he starts singing Fix You, starts spinning that light bulb, (laughs) and he starts running around, and my brain is melting. (laughs) You know? I mean, it was amazing. And that definitely, I mean, my yeah, my first show was a mind-blowing show like proper production and everything and then once i moved to charlotte i started going to shows more and yeah. i remember seeing uh you ever heard of pete yorn yeah 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 i saw him just it's a show a venue called amos south end um and he was playing there and i you know it was a small club and everything mm. everybody's packed in there sweating their faces off and that was such a great show playing like stuff I remember driving around and no one listened to Pete Yorn where I grew up in. It was just like my own little artist that I liked. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so cool like, oh, he actually tours and everything. Who's your dream band to support? Oh, Fleet Foxes. Yeah, still? Still. Yeah. I mean, they were just such an important band for me. Mm. Like, because I first moved to Charlotte and you know and just in that time of like new things and like I graduated high school a week after I moved to Charlotte and it was just like Fleet Foxes Frightened Rabbit um, a few other bands it was just such an influential group of their organic sound and obviously their harmonies I just I will always have a special place, a Fleet Fox shaped hole in my heart. <laughs> but I saw yeah. them uh, last year, and that was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, did, they're not doing so much at the minute, are they? They did a new album last year and toured it. I, th- I think they're they're taking a break now, maybe for some new music or new yeah. projects. But what are the most important things? to you in life um oof. sorry to put you on the spot <laughs> no you're fine um I guess recently it's, it's just been like 
and this sounds so elementary, but just loving the people around you. Mm. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I know that's like so like boring, but it's, I've gotten so like tired of the, I don't want to say tribalism, but just like you, us and them or whatever. I just, I'm like, guys, come on. Let's just crack a few beers and just, let's just talk and just love each other and not spend all this time trying to, I get so fed up with like who's right all the time. And so Mm -hmm. to me, what's most important is like loving your fellow man and supporting each other and, you know, being, being a good person. And yeah. helping somebody out without, especially helping somebody out without it, intending to get something back from it. Yeah. Tell me that story about your daddy cutting the grass and not telling you anyway. Oh, yeah. He, about it. he would do it all the time growing up about like, we would, he would cut somebody's grass or he would, we would, we lived on a dirt road and so it was just really common for people to throw trash out the window all over the road and everything and we would spend Saturdays cleaning it up or we would go to somebody's house and help them out not tell them or we would go to the church and clean up and I'll, he he would always say don't tell anyone <laughs> and I'm, you know you're a little kid you're like uh, I'm going to tell everybody I did this <laughs> everyone must know <laughs> right. I am the, awesome all the good things I've done he's like no this, that's not that's not the way we don't. You don't need that. That's for you. That's really. There's something really beautiful about That's that. That's amazing about that. Oh, it's definitely a, a huge impact on me growing up. Just trying to do good for someone, and not doing it to get that thank you. But I mean, it is for you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Traveling. Traveling for six months of the year, um, from city to city, and. Living out of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. How do you keep yourself grounded? How do you take care of your mental health? How do you keep stability and living in an environment like that? Yeah, I mean, I love touring, but it, I'm a natural, what they call it, a, a social introvert. <laughs> and so I definitely have to find my space and like, you know, after a sound check or something, or after we load in, I, I definitely try to find space where I can zone out and just kind of check in with myself and, you know, kind of have a, what you call it, a mental groom or a mental comb over of like, where am I at and what am I doing and all that. And, uh, you know, checking in with Ebony and, um, and just kind of, I, what's, what's funny is I, I try to have like these little mini adventures. Yeah. If there's a certain record shop or cool store, I might just like Uber over there by myself and just have like my little mini vacation. That's cool. Away from everyone. Not that I, like, I'm not. You know, it's just the introvert in me is just I need. Of course, you need your own space. You need your own time. To right, because you're you're around people twenty four seven. Okay. You know, you you play, you you set up, tear down, and you unload and everything. You're always with another human being. Yeah. And you're even sleeping in a bunk or in a hotel room. With oh another, yeah. Another human being, and so it's just for me. I definitely have to just check out and like have my little yeah, like I'll. We were up in uh, Salt Lake City, and there was this like gorgeous, beautiful mountain. I was like, I want to go up there. And we finished sound check, and I hiked up there and <laughs> had my little day after sound check. Yeah, and you played the show that night. It was an early, early sound check. Okay, yeah. I had plenty of time to sweat myself back down. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love like those little adventures because it. Yeah, it makes you human again. Of course. And like, like me, you're an Enneagram 9. Mm-hmm. 
So you got to take time aside to remind yourself who you are. Yeah. Yeah, def- oh, being an ad on tour is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have too many conflicts on the road, but it, I, especially me, I, I'm pretty fairly easy going and just, and everybody else is. It's just, especially with just like people outside of your world, like not on the crew or in the band, like, uh, like, like if a you know a venue guy's mm-hmm. being a jerk or something, and the nine in you is like losing it and wants to create the peace again, um, that can be a little challenging. Mm. When you when you can when I when I'm already a very observant person, yeah, and I can see, yeah, stuff you, start, yeah, you can see what's going on, sparking, you can feel it, but there's, there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to hide, yeah. Yeah, it's exhausting, isn't it? So exhausting. <laughs> but there's but there is that kind of sweet joy when the the conflict is resolved and over. It's yeah. like heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I think about some of the elaborate schemes that I will subconsciously go to mm. and to avoid a conflict. Like a what? month down a month down the line. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, like don't ask me don't ask me. Don't ask me, you know what I mean, but it's like you're spinning plates. Oh yeah. Because you can see, you can see something down the road, and you're like, ah, well, if I talk to this person and then shift this around and maybe we go here first, and, mm. and then I'll, I'll not have to speak to that person. You know. Do you ever have? Uh, do you ever? I do this all the time, so I'll just say it. But do you ever uh, have conversations on the way to a conflict, like? If I'm driving somewhere and I know there is, I will have a con- like I'm going there to have a, a, a meeting or a, a like a somewhat serious discussion. I'll go ahead and play out the conversation in my head. No, no. Only you be- should try it. <laughs> only because, only because. Oh, I won't even get in the car to go there. <laughs> I'll stay at home or to pretend it didn't happen. Pretend it didn't happen. You know. Um, my job, my my my, 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 <laughs> my day job is so solitary that I don't right. have, I don't have to deal with conflict in work my workplace. Yeah, you know, so uh, I'm so I'm so um, I guess blessed. Blessed is the only word <laughs> I can think of in in that, um, which makes life on the road you know e- easy for me. Mm-hmm. But you know, conflict and being conflict don't. I mean, I can probably count on my on one hand the conflicts I've had in my life. Wow. I cannot do the same. Not that it's not that it's maybe a good thing or a healthy thing, but um, I find it easy. I find it easy to walk away, but I also find it very easy to let things go. There's yeah. obviously a, there's obviously a level of avoidance in that as well, but I mean, the more I. I'm on this journey and on this road. I, you know, the more I read, I, you know, Buddhist methodology talks about about you know not attaching, you mm-hmm. know, becoming unattached from your ego and your emotion, not emotions, but becoming unattached from offense. Right. You know, not letting those things take a hold of you, but becoming like water, becoming like the wind, and letting those things move over you. You know. And so there's that level of attachment. Well, they call it like a duck runoff or something. Uh, like like water off a duck's back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that there's that element of of growth, but then there's also that element of avoidance, and it's the balance of right. the two. If that makes sense. So sometimes totally. sometimes it's really hard to differentiate which is which. If that if that makes sense, because I I can let things go. I cannot very easily. I can hold just, on to it for my life. Can you? My deathbed, I could be. My God. <laughs> you stubborn mule. Oh, God, I'm so stubborn. I hate myself. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's hard for me to let stuff go. I can be, I can get so emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. Like, but I guess, see, now I think that might be my, my wing eight in me where I don't like conflict, but when backed into a corner, you better look out. <laughs> oh, I believe that. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't, don't, don't push me. 
Actually, it was my first time in New York City, and you know I, I was doing a lot of the driving in the van and trailer, and so with New York, it's parking's free, but you just gotta find it. Because if you can find it, it's worth it's worth it. <laughs> so <clears throat> with the van and trailer, it's much harder to find that much parking. Of course. So what we had to do was we had to unload all the gear, just like double park it dump the gear out and then I had to drive all the way to Queens to find parking so in New York sometimes you just get random randomly searched um, and so I was going through a, about to go through a tunnel and they pulled me over now on this tour it was kind of like a animal jungle theme tour a bunch of fake plants we had set up but for this particular gig the venue was pretty small stage and everything so we, we just cut out the plants and lights and all that and just did like just strictly music gear and so I had all these plants in the trailer and they said what's in the trailer and I said nothing because I just I forgot and they said open it up and so I opened up the trailer and all, there are all these plants in there and they immediately assumed it was marijuana <laughs> <laughs> and they're like what is this and I said, oh, no, this is, we're on tour, this is plans. They started losing it and everything. And then I I grabbed one of the plants and just, like, sh- pulled it, put it in their face and just, like, tried to tear it apart. I'm like, see, it's not even real. <laughs> well, and they finally let me go and everything. But, oh, oh I was worried sick. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. Are you a spiritual person? Absolutely. I, I feel like I'm a deep feeler. Whether I know what I'm feeling mm. is the question, but I definitely can feel, I feel like I can really detect atmosphere changes yeah. in the spirit. I don't quite know what I'm feeling, but I'd I like to know someday. <laughs> yeah, I think we all... We all would sometimes. I wonder if the if the inner this idea of the inner world or, or your inner health and the spiritual spiritual world are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Something I've learned in in recent days is listening to my body, right? Realizing when I'm in an uncomfortable situation, right? And vacating that situation mm-hmm. nothing that's terribly menacing or maybe just being in a coffee shop and someone arguing in the corner on the phone on the phone or, or unrest yeah and your head well historically might just I would just stay there you know but sometimes it can be in an environment where your body's really uncomfortable mm-hmm. but you're just so used to just Plodding through and being there, right? I'm learning a lot, a lot about about that. Do you ever in your in where have you been? Do you ever feel different changes or uh, heavinesses or lightness to cities? Hmm. Personally, for me, like when I'm in when I'm in like downtown Belfast, I can feel certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Or like uh, sometimes like uh, Portland or um, even New York, in certain areas of New York, I can feel a weirdness or a heaviness. Hmm. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be so much that way. Yeah. I think sometimes I'm my own equilibrium. Right. Is so can be so left and right that it would take a lot for the outside to to affect what's going on in on me in the end with me in the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. It's taken me a long time to wrestle with questions and doubts and fears and level things up on the inside. Mm-hmm. I spent a long number of years 
living out of a place of unrest, mm. which drives you more than you driving it. Mm. But now I live out of a place of rest, and I can recharge by simply just checking what's going on inside for a few seconds, a few moments at any given part of the day and just... Resting is really important to you. Oh, shockingly so. It's becoming more important to me. Do you meditate? Not in the sense of the word meditate, as in, you know, intentionally. Mm. But maybe I like what I said earlier about those little mini vacations those little mini escapes that I make I feel like that's kind of a form of meditation of course but no I don't like I don't sit in a quiet room and think but because I, I my mind will lose it but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I, I kind of have like these little mini mini meditation vacations but I definitely like Kind of what you were saying, just I try to consciously rest because I think that's part of getting older where you, you're you not so concerned about being everywhere. Yeah. Because there's nothing really out there. Exactly. I mean, nothing that you can't live without or with. Sometimes right? I think, sometimes I think our mobile phones are like, it's like looking out the window. You're just constantly looking out the window. You carry car around in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. And you look out the window. And then you realize an hour's passed, two hours have passed. You were looking for something, but it was never out there right. to begin with. And you're just, you're deep down a rabbit hole on YouTube of conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> but you never, you never find what you're looking for, you know? Oh, God, no. You never do. And I think once you learn that you won't find it it's such a it's kind of a comforting thought of Mm -hmm. like oh there's nothing out there or no there's nothing out there's obviously things out there but there's nothing out there that's i can live without like i got i i got all i need i'm alive i'm i'm who i am and that's wonderful yeah. I love Eckhart Tolle. I love his approach to the living in the now. Yeah. Living in the moment and the present. Right. This idea of presence, you know. Because mm-hmm. we don't live in the past, we don't live in the future. But we live here. But it all meets right here. The past meets here. The present meets here. The future meets here. It all meets here. This. What's the, that they say about like the past is you you regret the past and you're anxious about the future Hmm. but neither one of them exists yeah right Hmm. absolutely because you you can't the future doesn't exist until you're there and then it's not the future anymore yeah and obviously the past is over with my wife can do can do the most monotonous job for an eternal length of time <laughs> happily lost in that moment mm. I struggle yeah if I told her back it go and there's a jar of buttons and I said I need I need the I need the white buttons I need the black buttons out of that with four holes she'd be like okay <laughs> she wants to a she wants to a a jigsaw puzzle which was the colors of the spectrum from light to shade oh my gosh <laughs> she happily just sat for no way absolutely took her took her took her took her days and weeks <laughs> just haphazard, haphazardly when she had a moment here and there right and it was massive and she was just she just loved every minute of it oh, going God. from going from yellow right up to the blues and purples and reds Ebony did a a, a, pit, uh, a puzzle at the beach and I was like that's going to be the last thing I do <laughs> I uh, yeah that, 
everything would have to be destroyed or burned. <laughs> and if that puzzle survived, I still probably wouldn't want to do it. Oh my it. God. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that when you think of meditation, you automatically think of sitting still or in a room. Yeah, I mean, or, in, just kind or, of or what, being quiet or in your head. Right. But actually, you're so far from being in your head. Mm hmm. The more I've meditated and spent time, it's so far removed from being in your head whilst you're in your head. But the idea of movement is absolutely brilliant. Right. I remember Richard Rohr talking about when he discovered that he could walk and pray. His life was transformed. Yeah. And we have so much language for the same thing. Meditation, contemplation, prayer. So many metaphors that talk about about the same thing. Mm -hmm. But that's just, it, it, you know, with those words come like what you just associate with them, you know? Yeah. When you, th when, like when you said meditation to me, I thought sitting in a room quiet. Of course. And that will be the last thing I want to do. But mm. I think you're right. I mean, I always find a meditation late at night talking to people. You know? Yeah. Like, I remember we were on tour in Chicago, and we we did a show. We had a day off the next day, and me and the guys, we walked for, like, felt like 20 miles that day and went to a Cubs game. It was yeah. incredible. And the Cubs won. We walked back. We get to the, the bus and everything, and then me and two of the guys – we stay up until three. Yeah. Talking about nothing. Mm. I mean, obviously, we, we got deep here and there, but it was just like, we were all kind of individually being thankful and grateful for the where we were at and everything and how we all kind of grew up in small towns and that we just had a day in Chicago was such an incredible mm -hmm. thing that, you know, people from our hometown have probably never left the county. Yeah. Our counties and the states are much smaller than your counties. And just, yeah. And that felt like a form of meditation for me. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I woke up the next day feeling revived. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big part of it is how we host other people mm -hmm. in our presence. Right. I think that's all we ever do whenever we meet someone you have the power to make that person feel amazing yeah or feel terrible and that's the power that the power that you wield i love this idea i can't i can't remember the quote it talks about how that we don't necessarily love someone's company but we love how we feel and how they make us feel when we're in their company oh yeah I like that. That's dead on. <laughs> and there are people in life who, who make you feel awesome when you're... Oh, God, yeah. Like, Seamus. Oh, Seamus. <laughs> oh, he's... He walks into a room, I immediately feel like a better person. That he would grace the room <laughs> and my presence with his. Tell me, tell me what you were telling me earlier about Seamus. Oh, uh, just... About like how he says names. Yeah. Yeah. When I I first first lived in Northern Ireland for a little bit, I I met Seamus and right off the bat, because I'm such an observant person, right off the bat I noticed he says everyone's name a thousand times in a conversation. <laughs> Obviously, it's exaggerating, but he. This is the first thing I noticed, and that's I don't know if that's just not very common in America, or is it is it common in Northern Ireland, but. He is just very intentional about looking you in the eye and saying your name. Oh, oh hi, Stephen. Like, oh, da, 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 da. oh, Stephen. Like, you know. And I was just like blown away because I felt so heard and I felt so important. Like, I've never felt before. And it was, I definitely like brought that back with me. Yeah. For sure. Like, I try to say people's names now. Like in conversation, not nearly as much as he does, because people would notice. <laughs> but, 
but he, I'm sure, I mean, yeah, I'm sure people have thought Stephen says my name a lot, but I, yeah, it's just, I don't know, and it might not, maybe other people won't feel like that, but I felt like that, and it, it made me feel heard and important, and like you're being listened to, and that's such a an amazing feeling. Yeah, I'm totally going to start saying people's names a lot more than I. You should. You'll feel great or <laughs> weirded out. <laughs> but a lot of the reason I started, I've started to do these interviews with people that I, that I know and love, is because I want to be intentional about celebrating people mm-hmm. that I know and the people in my life that aren't famous or wild, widely known or anything like that. But just right. it's like these people are my celebrities. Right, you know, yeah. My grandmother, she's 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 just, she's like my celebrity grandmother. Yeah, you know, to me, she's important. You know, and, yeah. and uh, I've yet to do one with her, but I will. Mm-hmm. Seamus is a celebrity in my mind. I I talked to my wife about him. Like that was like one like the the key highlighted point in the trip was to meet <laughs> Shammy Shabba. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to Scotland, Highlands, whatever, who cares? When we get to Northern Ireland, we're <laughs> going to meet the most interesting Northern Irishman. <laughs> he just opened a can. <laughs> he literally just... <laughs> oh, my God. Open the can. Must consume all Guinness before leaving Ireland. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> What's wrong with you? You just don't care. <laughs> <laughs>